welcome. You're listening to Brilliance Through Resilience. I am your host, Andrea Furpo, and I believe it is time for women to share their gifts, their beliefs, and their stories. These are lessons of endurance, voices demonstrating resilient spirits, tough skins, and a willingness to burrow deep underground for resources in order to survive. I've gathered a community of women to tell us their stories and inspire us to step into more courage and feminine leadership. My only hope with this podcast is to engage, inspire, and compel more women to share their voices. So wherever you are, sit back and relax with me. And thank you so much for listening in to today's show. You're listening to Brilliance Through Resilience, a podcast highlighting incredible women sharing in their ability to overcome. Our guest today is Deb Yeager, and Deb is a master coach and certified trainer of neuro-linguistic programming. She's a certified trainer of timeline therapy. She trains in hypnosis. She's a thought leader, author, and speaker. Deb works with individuals and groups across multiple geographies and industry verticals in the field of NLP and its supporting modalities. As a professional coach and trainer of master-level NLP students, Deb uses her knowledge and personal experience to move her clients to action to create lasting change in their lives by acknowledging and removing self-limiting beliefs, replacing problems with desired results, and understanding, owning, and executing the power to drive results in sales and their personal lives through authenticity and empowerment. She is most passionate about working with women to help them identify false limitations and move towards full potential in their desired life and or business. So I met Deb through a mutual friend, and we hit it off immediately. I actually was surprised by how much we had in common, even though we uh, hadn't met up until that, that period of time. We just share this period of time in our lives where we both had very similar choices, um, and how that affected us was very similar. And so you'll... You'll see in the following interview how we both discover that about each other and also, um, you know, how much we understand each other and our clients because of these experiences. This is a really exciting interview because I share part of my personal history that I don't always often reveal. And I think a lot of times people think that I just arrived um, to where I am now, and that my life has been really super easy. And I really share a part of myself or reveal a part of myself, as does Deb, of, you know, how we put ourselves in situations to force upon change and enlightenment in ways. And it's landed us in the positions of working with other people and being able to empathize so much with challenge and hardship. So without further ado, I hope you really enjoy our conversation together. Um, This is Deb. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really appreciate you you joining us here today. And Deb, I just want to start simple with you. Where are you from? Um, I'm originally from Columbia, Missouri. Uh, It's a small town in the Midwest. uh, And it's it's a college town, which is really neat because we had such a mixture of 
different types of people and it's a little bit more progressive than the rest of Missouri, except for the bigger cities. So it's a great place to live. And how did you end up in San Diego? I thought for some reason you were in San Diego. So when I was 18, I moved away. Okay. Okay. So you yeah. grew up your entire life in Missouri. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. So name something you can't live without. Mm. I can't live without myself. (laughs) (laughs) True. I've never heard that yet. (laughs) I mean, like, I'm really happy to be myself. And I mean, it's taken me a long time to get here. And um, I guess it's a relationship with myself now. I refuse to be unkind to myself, to live in fear. Like, I just, I'm so grateful for who I am. And because of the decisions I made, like I'm so grateful for all the people in my life now too. And the financial freedom. Yes. Yes. I see that for you. Okay. So you can't live (laughs) without yourself. Tell me something unique or interesting about you that only those close to you would know. Hmm. Interesting about me. Yeah. Give us a secret. I don't have that many secrets at this point. <laughs> I'm teasing you. I'm like, you're going to talk about yourself. So, <laughs> um, well, I mean, some of my, some of my people that I have, uh, talked to recently on different podcasts, I shared my story of being a dancer and escorting and all those things. I mean, I don't know if that makes me truly unique. It's a different story. It is. Um, I guess, and, and people know this too. It's like, I used to struggle with so much stuff and like maybe from the external experience of me now, you wouldn't see that. Um, I just, and I still struggle with things too. Mm-hmm. Working mm-hmm. Myself every single day, just like we uncovered earlier that I had a story about technology that I kept saying to myself and I was unconscious about it. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I'm, I think that the goal is not to be perfect, but yeah. you hope that the people that are around you are consistently making change to be better versions of themselves. Yes. 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 Yeah. You don't always and control over that, but you do have control over you. Exactly. And it's just like the process of coming out and being authentic and showing up for who you are. I used to think that like you would get to this point where you wouldn't have fear. And now I'm just understanding that it's, I, I, I get very deeply that being courageous, you're going to f- you're going to feel scared a lot of times uh-huh. and you push through and it's, and it's like almost uh, conditioning yourself to understanding that. And now when I have the fear, I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like happening. Oh, you're so cute. So you've gotten really comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. And, and leaning into vulnerability and just, being real with myself. I mean, this last two weeks to be real with you was really rough on me. Um, energetically, mentally, um, I had some old patterns that resurfaced, but from a higher level. Yep. Uh, was yeah. Definitely going around. That's what it Intense was all about. energy going on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very intense, especially with you being in Scorpio. Yeah. You were yeah. feeling it. I certainly was. So um, that is definitely something unique. Not everyone chooses to dance and not everyone chooses to escort. There are people who do, but, you know, you're just like me in the sense that looking at me, I just look like the girl next door, right? And most people are like, wait, what? Uh, They just (laughs) don't, they don't, they don't put it together with future me being, you know, like that would be a past me right? Like they don't, yeah. Even when I was doing it and I'm sure you're the same way. Like you just look like the sweet girl that's, you know, woman, sorry, that's next door, but that is the phrase, right? And so, um, I'm sure that that is, um, you know, surprising for most people to find out right now. Yeah. 
If you now, can, yes, now, right? Well, and back then, and back then, it was in the beginning. I I actually used that to my advantage of being the girl next door. And then as I went through and been in the industry longer, there was a lot of other stuff that was going on. Like yes. I was looking at some of the stuff that you were talking about, uh, like drug addiction. Of course, was prevalent ever since 13 years old. Um, also overeating, uh, food addiction, body dysmorphia, um, being in abusive relationships. It was like, I literally struggled with all of it that same time. And I was a completely different person. I thrived in the darkness and I enjoyed it. And there's still uh, a deep part of me that still likes some of those things. And like, I'm okay with even admitting it and being like true and authentic to that dark side of myself. Sure. Though it's not destructive and it hasn't, it doesn't take over me anymore. Yes. And I've learned how to channel it in a transformational way. <laughs> you mean you're healing your third chakra? I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, as you evolve spiritually too, um, the dark side just isn't as, as appealing. And I think I mentioned to this to you last week in our phone call that, you know, I have a very dark side too, a very dark history. And I think by getting very comfortable in it, it's why I'm no longer like you. I've gotten really comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like I have a lot of practice at it. And there are parts of it that absolutely are still me. Like I don't feel like I'm a different person, but I led a different life. I led a very different life for sure. And I made different choices. And I feel like the more um, energetically that I vibrate higher, as I vibrate higher, it just isn't, it doesn't draw, it doesn't draw me in like it used to. It's like, I think the point of being here is really, you know, if you want to call it third dimensional reality, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of not getting lost in it. We're supposed to come down here and have a really good time while we're here. The point is don't make ourselves sick, right? Don't eat so much cotton candy that like you're puking at the circus. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> enjoy the rides, but like don't overdo it, right? And so that's how we wanted all of the experiences. I think we wanted to experience all of the feelings and all of the things. We wanted to experience all of the things. And so you know, that's, that's kind of how I look at it is I experienced a lot of the things. Yeah, I agree. And having that contrast of being able to go from over in, in the beginning, like, so I did everything to its dream and overdid everything. And then when I started my spiritual healing and starting to wake up and doing the work, then I restricted everything. And now I'm coming back to, in the middle, it's like the dance between the, <laughs> young, that yes. And like, and seeing like that there is no darkness because there's light in the darkness and the transformation happens in the darkness and like having too much great is too, like anything in excess. And just like you said, being neutral yes. and still having the human experience. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I like the way that you said that. What are you naturally gifted in, Deb? Well, I, I'm naturally gifted at being able to go and with people because of my own personal experience of indulging in all those things, being able to dive into people's human experience when they're at their low rock bottom and being able to have compassion and assist them in seeing what they already know in themselves and giving them the tools to be able to walk out of it and become who they want to be. Um, and so that's why I'm so grateful of the experience that I had and the ride that I chose um, because it gave me incredible understanding of human behavior and compassion and being able to see all different angles of it. Yeah. Real time. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because you lived it, you have personal experience. It's like, um, it's the best kind. You can go study psychology and read the book, right? That ultimately, like, 
you lived it <laughs> in, in certain aspects, whatever that might be, right? Whatever showed up for you. So back to the drug addiction, because you did throw that out. So that started at age 13. So um, what was going on? We won't talk a lot about like everything in your family, but maybe if you could fill me in on what was going on with you when you started kind of, I don't know if that was a rebellion or how did that look for you? How did that show up? It definitely was rebellion. It was a cry for attention. Um, my parents were doing the best they could with the resources they had. I had a very, compared to most people, I had a great upbringing. I just chose, I, it was literally like I was attracted to anything that was overdoing, um, anything that made me feel good. And as far back as I could remember, I always struggled with fear and just being anxious all the time, feeling... Um, uncomfortable in my own skin, afraid of everything. Um, and then also I had very low self-esteem. I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel smart enough. I honestly made a decision in first grade that I was never going to mount anything because I got labeled with a learning disability. It was also a way of having this tremendous victim consciousness that got me a lot more attention and it backfired. And so the drugs was a way for me to disassociate from my body. And it, it allowed me to, I remember the first time that um, I mean, I smoked pot, but like alcohol was like huge for me because I felt like I could show up and I could talk. I had this huge blockage in my throat chakra. I was very afraid to speak my voice. The <laughs> so alcohol, are amazing I, I was like, yes. And then add, add stimulants to it because I started Coke and like I was, you know, doing Adderall and all the things. I got prescriptions too. They, I got prescribed Xanax when I was really young. And so there was always, it was a layering process of that and just being very um, fully embodied and how good it made me feel because I, I didn't have this going on as much. And so it just, it made me feel like superwoman. And when I didn't have it, I felt like I couldn't breathe. Right. I, I'm very familiar with that, not being able to breathe. <laughs> yeah. Very familiar with that. A lot of stuff in your space, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of the women, now that I'm openly talking about the industry, that, that type of industry, I'm seeing a lot more women, I think, have psychic ability or empathic and... Um, they end up getting in drugs because they're trying to like sort through the emotions. They don't even know a lot of them. It's not even theirs. And yep. they get into industry. That's even more crazy. Yeah. <laughs> trying to sort through it. <laughs> yep. Yep. And um, trying to numb it. Right. Trying to shut it down. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I definitely. Uh, yeah. I was trying to shut a lot of things down and off. Yeah. But especially trauma. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely, um, totally had no, I don't know about you, but I'll speak about my own experience. Like I was so resistant to believing in anything that anything good possibly could happen anymore because so much I had magnified so much bad, <laughs> um, just on a repeated basis, like a <laughs> record. I mean, it was like, just serving it up. Right. Um, so yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know where I was going with that, but, uh, oh, I agree. Yeah. So and when you, when you're in that world and you continue, it's like this feedback loop, you continue to create, um, based upon the trauma that you have. And then it creates, it reaffirms the belief systems to where this is like firing and wiring and then creating more of that same pulled pattern. Yes. Um, it's really hard to pull out. I also think that there's something in that I'm, you know, I'm really excited to be talking to you about it. It's like the correlation with um, dancers. I think a lot of us actually want to help people. Yes. Because I always, I always wanted to help men. Help I wanted to help all the men. Yes. I, I understood them and I could give them yeah. advice and like repair their marriages and help them out with yeah. their relationships. And yeah, I was giving all kinds of advice. People paid me for my time. They usually were like, um, what are you doing here? But yeah, that's almost always. Yeah. They were like, what are yeah. you doing here? This is, is this fun for you? What's going on? I feel like I'm being pranked <laughs> um, because they just didn't expect me, I guess. I don't know, whatever that means. But um, yeah. yeah, so you were doing the same thing, trying to heal everybody. 
So there was a part of me that was doing that. And then there was, because of the trauma, and this is like psychoanalyzing myself, um, looking back, there was a part of me that was doing that. And like, I actually attracted a lot of fetish type of people um, because, and I like, I always felt good about doing it. And the other girls were like, eh, why are you doing that? I'm like, because like, I feel like I'm actually doing good work here. And then there was also a part of me that like actually enjoyed the sexual interaction. Like sure. you, from, and like, I, I actually liked to feel like sexually embodied and I enjoyed, like I was a dirty dancer mm-hmm. and and I even went through a phase where I would like even, and it was almost like a defense mechanism. I would call myself a hoe and I would laugh about it. And like, that's how I got into escorting. Cause I would get guys and they would go and leave. And like, then I was doing sex working at that point. Right. And there was a part of me that really did enjoy doing that just because it was like rebelling or being bad or it was being also bad. feeling, yeah, feeling that I needed to be punished. And so like, I was also seeking that unconsciously, which is why I believe I attracted so many abusive men. Um, there was also this, um, deep seated unworthiness too. And like any sort of attention and love was a way of filling it. Plus the money was like amazing. Of course. Um, It's like fuel on the fire. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting paid to do all of this. Yeah, I I'm know. Like, I'm going to be a hoe anyways. This is the language I used to say. I'm like, I'm going to be a hoe anyways. I might as well get paid for it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. How far you've come, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was a completely like there was a deep there was a deep part of me that was very um, just like outwardly um, just like jokingly putting myself down yeah. and and actually thought like I, I modeled after like the scarred face kind of movies, like wanting the guy that like was, you know, the gangster drug dealer. And I'm just one of the wives that is like literally the harem. And at least I'm the, I'm the top woman and and I'm okay with that. So I, I would, I would be in relationships and openly tell them to go have sex with other women because I thought that that's the only way that I could keep a man. man. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> All I can say is the parallels are in our lives and the way that we, you know, we thought about things um, or solicited them are different, but the same. Yeah. Same beliefs for sure. Absolutely. There was a point in time in my early years where I honestly believed I had not seen one monogamous relationship because of who my mom surrounded herself with and who my family surrounded themselves. So they had not seen one monogamous relationship that had worked out. Not one that where they were happy, not one. Well, you know, like attracts like, right? So my parents didn't gravitate out of their circle of breach, whatever that was, you know, the circle around them of people that they hung out with. And so I didn't know that that existed. I literally grew up thinking, oh, people just treat each other terribly or are miserable or go cheat on each other. Or, you know, I just thought that that's, that's, that's the world. That's how I was, that's how I deserved to be, to be treated. And so there was no way that anyone would want to stay with me. Unless they would have their ultimate freedom. I thought I had it all figured out. I was like, if I give you complete freedom, that must mean that, like, you'll come back, right? Like a caged bird, right? No one wants a caged bird. If I let you go free, then you can do whatever you want. And somehow that won't hurt me, won't cause a lot of tension in our relationship, won't cause tremendous damage and, and hurt or any of that. Yeah. I just go do whatever you need to do. And then just I'll dump a bunch of alcohol on top and, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, some drugs and make it all better somehow. Right. And make it go away. And it just never got a, went away. Like you, it was just carrying more and more hurt around mm-hmm. reaffirming what I already thought I knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was also for me a form of manipulation too. At the deep level, I look back on the abusive relationships. And of course, like 
I was attracting exactly what I was putting out, of course. And I also was controlling them by (laughs) being this giant victim, which I got something out of it because whenever it would become abusive, then I had people feel sorry for me. Uh And also by not communicating what I truly wanted in the relationship. like It was their fault. Yeah, it was their fault. And they're so mean to me. They don't care about me. They're sexually abusive, all the different things. But I never spoke up because I molded myself into what I thought they would, whatever vision of the perfect woman is. (laughs) That's what you were being. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was being so insincere and these poor guys, I mean, not that they're like poor guys. And at the same time, they didn't even know who the fuck I was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, I got, I, I get it. I totally get it. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you've come a long way. So tell me more about um, how, so you were in, you stripped and you escorted for how long? So that started at what age? So I started stripping and doing bachelor parties at around 17. And then I got in deep ever since then. I started escorting. I mean, like I was doing dirty stuff in the beginning. And then I, depending upon the club that I worked at, um, it was either not allowed or it was allowed. And then I always found other ways. And I very quickly got sugar daddies too. So I had clients that you know yeah. would take care of me and yeah. stuff like that, yeah. which was a lot of, it was a lot easier, but then the trade and the cost of it was, you know, there's yeah. always a cost for everything. Yeah. I worked with girls like you. I, I mean, I'm not like putting you into a good group, but I, I knew like you were making way more money than I was. Um, I was in a relationship with my now husband. And so we had an agreement like, yeah, no, um, you're going to be the clean girl in the club. So, um, <laughs> Sorry, girl. <laughs> I know. So my existence is totally different. Um, I think I mentioned that um, last week I told you that um, I met someone else recently who worked in Vegas a little bit later than I did and you did as well. And um, Or maybe we were there at the same time you and I figured out. And she was talking about all the money she made. And I was like, yeah, no, that yeah. – I mean, I've made – don't get me wrong, more than a desk job, but it is good money. It is great money, but the the demand of it, the toll that it took on me, um, physically, physically, wow. Even my daughter still talks about how tired I was. I don't know about your exhaustion rate, but um, you know, I was raising a a really young child, and it was very, very demanding um, physically, emotionally, right? Because I didn't have tools to protect myself from all of the drama. Mm, yeah all of the drama there's Scary so much there. drama there's so <laughs> much drama in a strip club right it's like it's like a slumber party of girls um everything scary night. ones too the scary ones too the ones that you didn't want to invite over but came anyway and so <laughs> right and so it's like just a bunch of girls and they've all got their issues right it's it's hysterical on some nights um so yeah so okay so you started when you were about 16 and then when did you stop and how did that happen so, so 17 and then I I'm so I started in Missouri then moved to California then Vegas and then when I when I started NLP my journey of NLP um I didn't stop right away because again like there's there's a lot of girls that were making a lot more money and I was being a lot more dirty but the thing is is that I didn't believe that I could do anything else and I I was so insecure about talking like everything I did was through body language. Oh, and the whole time I really, really would talk. Yeah. So there's like a lot of girls that made a ton of money that would just talk to the clients and, and be dirty. I mean, not dirty. Yeah. Yeah. I worked with I, a Russian girl. <laughs> Her I name wasn't was really, Katya. I wasn't, yeah. 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 I wasn't as good as those, the girls that were like really good at sales. Like yeah. mine was like, hey, you want to dance? Okay. Fuck you. <laughs> if they said no. Like, Sorry, I have to look that body mouth. I need to get better. No, you're fine. Um, You're in good Um, company. (laughs) I probably wouldn't have said fuck you. I would have sat down on their lap. At least in Vegas, I would have. I got very brave in Vegas. I would have sat down in their lap and just been like, yeah, you do. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Why else are you here? 
right? Yeah. It's just either a matter of time that you'll want to dance or you want to hang out. You want to hang out with someone, maybe not me, but you do want something. So you see, you are, you're uh, better at sales and it depends on the night, like how, like how articulate I felt though, the yeah. block there, I think I could have made a lot more if, like, if I knew what I know now, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, I couldn't keep it together. I mean, like it literally, I was hitting such rock bottom. So my darkest time was when I first moved to Vegas and I was dating a meth dealer and I did meth for about a year straight. And he was pretty much pimping me out like it. And yeah. So like after that, it woke me up because it was such near death experience of just almost killing myself so many times. Um, like I wouldn't sleep for almost two weeks at a time and like oh, completely wow. pass out. Um, I had some really embarrassing experiences at the club. Like I fell asleep on a guy and like peed all over myself. Like I was just I was a freaking mess. Wow. And, um, I almost got fired from that place and that started waking me up. Like, Oh my gosh, you need like, cause he went to jail. Of course. Like that was the pattern of how guys would leave. And I started thinking, okay, like you gotta get this together, girl. Like I kept like having my soul come into my, like once in a while, like knocking on the door. Like if you don't change something, you're gonna be in jail or dead. But I yeah. didn't know how or to what. Stop. Yeah, because I didn't believe I was smart enough to work at McDonald's. I didn't even think I had the skill set to work at McDonald's because, like, I was afraid of computers and reading and writing. And, like, I just didn't want to get humiliated and shamed for how stupid I was. I was afraid to go get a cocktail waitressing job because of that factor. Like, I was so embarrassed and ashamed of how stupid I was. Wow. And so, like, I got, I kept, I was stuck. Like, I wanted to change, and the desire was there, but the the belief system kept me back so badly. Um, and so, the, how I found NLP is like, of course, making making a decision that there's a time frame of how long I'm going to be doing this. And I, I literally had this blind faith that something's going to happen. I didn't know what it was. I didn't really believe in anything. I just, I knew that there was, I was meant for something more. Mm. And so I fell into it. Of course, I attracted it knowing the language now. But at the time, like, I just thought that I got lucky. Um, I met a woman um, in her hot Pilates class. I literally watched her take her business from substitute teaching at a studio to then doing meetups, then owning her own studio, then doing her own teacher training. And I took her course because I was all into the physical body because that's the only thing I could control. And it was also a way of survival. Um, and so I took her class and it was different than anything that I did. Of course, I was using and everything the whole time. And I was embarrassed. But for some reason, I, I, I trusted her and I felt safe. Uh-huh. I felt safe enough to take this class and do something I'd never done, which was totally out of my comfort zone, go back to school kind of thing. Uh-huh. And I took it with her. And then I noticed that it was different than anything that I'd ever heard before. She was teaching stuff that I had never, which is all the mindset and the NLP stuff. She infused it into it because she was a trainer. And then I, I told her about my situation and she said, you need to talk to these people. I don't care how much it costs. Just go and enroll in this program. It's going to change your life. And so I trusted her. And so I jumped. I jumped blind, blindly into a program I knew nothing about and did something that scared the shit out of me. Hmm. Hmm. How do you feel about that now? Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> I'm teaching what I'm teaching. I'm teaching what I went through. Uh-huh. And- to other people. So you're yeah. a teacher of other teachers as well. You're not yeah. just a coach. Yeah. So I certify coaches and trainers. Okay. And then you also have coaching clients. Yes. Yes. I just wanted to distinguish that for people who don't already know that about you. And then, um, you know, you've talked a lot about this, but what hurdles do you feel like you personally face and how did you overcome them? Was it really, truly just tapping? Like as that started to permeate and integrate in your body, um, did you stop using from there? So <clears throat> it was using, it was a body dysmorphia. It was the, uh, yes, it was the confidence. It was not believing that I was smart. So the first training I took halfway through, um, I stopped everything that I was using 
I, we did a process, we teach it, it's called parts integration. And I integrated the conflict that I was having inside of me. Like the part of me that wanted to be this crazy manic, like uh, drug addict, not give a shit about anybody, step over you, I'll take your money. And then the part of me that wanted to be a good human being. <laughs> I love your honesty. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And then um, after that integrated, my the, the voice and the fight, the conflict stopped. And so it was nothing short of a miracle. And the desire to use was gone. Wow. So I flushed my pills. I got rid of all my pipes, my meth pipe. Um, I threw out all the alcohol. And I literally went on a six months uh, cleanse where I was doing like YouTube and trying to figure out like, you know, spirituality. I did an ayahuasca journey, just trying to figure out who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, I just knew that I didn't want to dance anymore. And I didn't want to do the shenanigans I continued that I had. That was the the environment, the container that I had created for myself. Um, and so during that period of time, because I wasn't working out, I wasn't dancing and I like was in a healing, a massive healing phase. We talk about this in a master's class. Like when your body is in flight or fight for that long, you go into a healing phase, which creates a lot of edema and you also mm-hmm. eat more because you're not, you're in parasympathetic nervous system. Yep. So I gained weight. So of course my body dysmorphia kicks in. I run out of money. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the only thing I know what to do is to go back to dancing because I need to get the money to pay for my master practitioner class because it was a year later. And so I did. I I went back to my pharmaceutical drug dealer and got Adderall and popped more pills to lose the weight and then um, went back to dancing to get the money. And then, but the whole time I had my, it was very interesting. The whole time I knew with blind faith that no matter what happens, I know that I'm going to get to this class. I'm going to find the answer. I'm going to find the answer for the next step in my life. This is a temporary period, and I'm going to take these drugs to get my body into where I need to go in order to get to this final destination. And that's when I went to master's, I flushed the stuff again immediately. And then um, three days into the training, that's when I met Brandon, which is my husband now. And um, we fell in love. and. I told him everything, trying to push him away because I didn't think there was possibly a man that would ever accept me for doing all these things. Yep. Because I thought I was dirty and worn out and nobody would love me. And he didn't judge me. Yeah. Pretty wonderful, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. So you made an agreement with the universe, essentially, to to make a trade, right? Like at a certain point you were like, I know that this isn't good for me, but I'm willing to do it temporarily. It's a temporary old choice. I'm going to go back a couple steps in order to really shoot forward again. Yeah. Yeah. Cause life is, you know, the trajectory of life. I don't know. I mean, at least from my experiences, it's, it sometimes feels like it's like four steps forward and like 30 steps back, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like, sometimes you don't get it right the first time. And I think it's important for anyone who's listening to understand, like, just because you know the way, or you think you might know the way. Cause like my first question for you is, were you ever scared? Fuck yeah. Yeah. The whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're like, am I doing the right thing? And is this really going to help? And can I really be healed? And um, can I really trust these people that I'm putting so much time and effort and energy and money and all of that? Because um, you hadn't experienced kindness like that before, is my guess. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the, I'm like halfway through the first training. I didn't share this part. I'll just share it quickly. I almost sabotaged. Three days in, I didn't show up for the third day or the fourth day because 
my old pattern came up. I'm like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Cause it's all language, like yeah. your language. And I'm like, I didn't even understand English in school. How am I supposed to do this now? <laughs> all your stuff's coming up. <laughs> yeah. And I literally went home and called my meth dealer and scored a bag of meth and smoked it all night long and didn't show up for the fourth day. And they called me and they're like, get your ass down here. I don't care what, what, what it is. You're in. I don't care. Like we want you here now. And that's literally when I surrendered to myself is right before when I talked to them, I got off the phone. I remember being in my kitchen and I look up and I see my, my, my candle of vodka and there's, I have Red Bulls cause that's all I drank was Red Bull and vodka. And I poured out half the Red Bull, put the rest of the vodka in it. And I took the cup and I said, fuck it. And I slammed it. And that to me was me surrendering. And then I went to class and that's when I had the hugest breakthrough. After that point, I didn't doubt anything. I knew that this was the answer to my entire existence. I knew that this was because I didn't have withdrawals. And like the feeling that I had after that is beyond any feeling that I'd ever felt on drugs. The congruency, the the peace, the self-love that I was starting to grow and develop inside of me uh-huh. was beyond anything I've ever experienced. It was It was divine. Yeah. And so I knew even when I took this stuff again, when I was getting back to the masterclass, I knew that it didn't matter. And I felt a lot of shame around it. Like I beat myself up and I didn't tell anybody for a long time, except for Brandon, he knew, but, um, I knew that it's what I had to do in order to get there. Mm-hmm. And I still felt fear, of course. And I almost didn't show up to the masterclass because my thing almost sabotaged myself again, of course. So it was many, many years of sabotage and letting go and those things. So, and so what do you find, um, got you through that, um, having compassion and love for that part of you? Yes. And doing lots of work. Yeah. Doing lots of work. Like the, the timeline therapy. I was just going to ask you about that. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So everybody has an internal timeline. Timelines are nothing new. We've known it since they've been talking about them in psychology. Aristotle talked about timelines. So our unconscious mind has record of everything that you have experienced in your lifetime, including the womb, including the DNA. You have access to your own DNA. You can do epigenetics through your timeline. And you also have the Akashic records. You also have your past life timeline that you have access to. So you literally can get into a time machine and go back into the past and unprogram and get the wisdom from every experience that you've ever experienced since the beginning of time. So when you have that freedom, you literally can recreate you and learn from the old you and integrate it into you and use it as your greatest superpower. So after I learned this process, I was actively using it on a daily basis. And honestly, after going through masters and meeting Brandon and moving to Fresno, California and starting my life over getting out of the environment. That was the hardest time in my life than any other time. Starting over. Yes. Because my new environment, I felt like a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. None of my old strategies worked. I weren't, I wasn't able to manipulate because he didn't put up with that bullshit. I was trying to learn how to read and write I was debunking that I wasn't stupid after all. So I was having my identity ripped away one after another of all these lies that I've been telling myself. And it was painful. Because yeah. <laughs> a little, now a little bit of an ego step- death, huh? Yeah. Seriously. I was integrating the old ego and I also was becoming a woman because I was a child in a woman's body. Yep. That shit hurt. Yeah, it does. It's worth it though. (laughs) It totally is, but it's really a huge wake up call. And I, I sit there, I sit there with you because I experienced it as well. There was, Mm -hmm. there was, there was definitely a moment where I had to admit that I was a child in a woman's body too. (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) Oh, geez. Okay. So, um, I worked with. If you want to share, yeah, I worked with a childhood trauma. Like that's what he specializes in, and that's where I've learned a lot of the techniques that I use with my clients. Um, so he, um, you know, 
He breaks it down basically. We're in one of three. Well, okay. I break it down as we're in one of three states at all time. You probably already know this. I don't know what you learn in your master training, but it sounds like it's similar. It's also like you and I have overlapped careers, but we've learned it differently. Um, <laughs> so um, essentially, like <clears throat> we're in one of three states at all time. We're either in our rational adults, we're in our adapted teen, or we're in our inner child. And we vacillate through all three of those all day long. We all do, like everyone does, right? So your rational adult, think of your rational adult as like logical and like you and I are in our rational adult right now. Okay, your teen shows up because essentially if you go back on your timeline, most of your trauma happened when you were a teenager. And so when you are in a triggered state, you're going to keep going back to that time and then repeat whatever pattern or reaction that was life survival skill at the time and all you really knew at the time, you're going to keep repeating that same reaction over and over and over again. What does that look like? Think of a teenager, like arms crossed. I think you mentioned like, I'm going to take all your money and fuck you. Like <laughs> that's your teen showing up. Okay. Your teen shows up to protect the child. The child, on the other hand, is like the opposite of that. So think of a child like they're vulnerable, they're needy, um, they're unprotected, right? They, they, they're like, they make the teen kind of grossed out, actually. Like that's all that, that a lot of emotions and feelings, like get your shit together. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to shame you for acting that way or feeling that way. Get your shit together. Come on, Deb. You know, like that would be your teen, like being kind of bitchy to you. So your teen gets activated um, throughout your life when you're not listening to your child, when you don't have a relationship with your child. And you are also dominant in one, as I mentioned, due to your timeline. So we all have trauma and then some of us have more than others. <laughs> and I laugh because you and I do. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, you, if you go back in your timeline, you'll see in this lifetime that there are specific ages where you had a lot, right? It's like, uh, you know, maybe it's age six for you, but like something happened and it was a major thing for you. And we experience trauma as anything less than loving that we perceive as anything less than loving, not what our parents perceive. So like if they thought that it was the most loving thing to do to spank spank you 20 times, then, hey, in their world, they were doing a loving gesture. But for you, that was terrifying, right? And I'm, I'm not judging for people's choices. I'm just saying, like, it's your perception. So like, if you got a timeout over and over again, because it was driving your parents, you were driving your parents crazy, you experienced that as trauma, that's trauma for you, not for them. And you store that. So you'll notice in your timeline that you'll have a lot of trauma in a specific area. And that's where you tend to always go to. Well, my trauma specifically <laughs> is from when I was a child. And so when I'm triggered in a triggered state, I already know. I know it becomes really easy. Like I feel super needy or I don't want to ask for things or I, you know, feel very vulnerable and unprotected and um, almost a little bit victimish, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I've done so much work on that. But having a therapist <laughs> tell you that at a certain point in your lifetime, if you do choose to get therapy... Um, is a real wake-up call, right? No one wants to get called on their shadow. Like, ooh, that's yucky. You're not supposed to know that about me, right? Especially when you're first doing the work because it's like, ah, uh, I haven't looked at it that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know I have yeah. problems, but I never would have thought that that was the reason why. Yeah, and, and I was so lucky that I attracted Brandon, because he gave me some of the, <clears throat> he gave me the medicine I needed at the time. Uh -huh. And like my resort was to go into the inner child and be victim consciousness. And he would, he gave me the support and sometimes a little bit over tough love. And I wasn't able to run that old pattern anymore. And so I was forced to adapt and I stepped into my power as a woman. It took me a long time to 
even like for our business. Um, so a year later we took trainers, which was another up level of like letting go of my voice and speaking my truth. At the time I was definitely afraid. I was the 50% of people that want to jump off a bridge instead of public speak. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And so that was another up level. And then again, for a whole year, I spun my wheels and continued to work for his real estate company. I even got my real estate license, had to prove to myself I was smart enough to take the test. And then after I had that success, I was like, I don't want to do this shit. Like, this is not my passion. I need to start doing what I know that I'm meant to be doing. So I, I sabotaged myself and like our relationship was really rocky in the beginning for the first two years there. I never let go of my shoes. Like it took me three years to actually give away my stripper clothes because I always had an exit strategy. Uh, oh my God. You and I, I had my sugar daddy on speed dial just in case. Like, <laughs> cause I, there was a couple of times that like, I almost, I literally played the movie in my head of, you know, leaving in the middle of the night taking my dogs and calling up my sugar daddy to score some money, go score the Adderall and the drug to lose the weight and then go back to stripping and forget about it all. Because it was comfortable. Uh-huh. It, it was, was a, so much easier. Yes, because it was, well, I don't know that it was easier. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> I don't know that it was easier. It was just. In a sense of comfort. It was familiar. It was yeah. very familiar. It made your life very messy and difficult. So I wouldn't say that it was easier. I bet your life is yeah. a lot easier now. I bet your life is a lot easier. Like, you know, mm. you know where money's coming from. You know, you're going to have a pillow under your head. You know, somebody loves you all the time. You know, there's a lot of more reassurance, I would imagine, now. Yeah. And like with growing our business and working together, it, it, we are consistently putting ourselves in places that, scare the shit out of me and like actively pursuing our goals and dreams. I would never say any day is easy. I choose to make it fun and easy at the same time. It's I'm actively forcing myself into situations that allow me to grow. And the other stuff was being, um, the other was being an environment that, like you said, that's familiar and safe. Um, it wasn't easy in the sense that then I would attract all the chaos. Right. That's now I'm choosing to create the chaos. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes, absolutely. And you have more control over the ebb and flow of it, right? It's yeah. like if you choose to move your house or you choose to move to a different state, you have control over the fact that you just ensued or brought chaos on, upon yourself, right? Yeah. Whereas in the old you, just chaos was the nature of the business, so to yeah, speak. It was like a cloud. <laughs> yeah, it just follows you everywhere you go. Um, so what old ideas of yourself have you outgrown? Hmm. Um, that I'm not confident, that I'm not smart, that I'm not a good communicator, and that um, I'm not worthy. Like all those things now – you know, there's some days where I still stumble over my communication, but I used to literally think that I sucked at communication. I wasn't able to talk in front of people without stuttering. It took me a long time to be able to really be confident in front of a room and mm -hmm. own my voice mm -hmm. um, and my ability to make money in a, again, I'm air quotes this, um, in a e integrity way. There for a while, um, I thought that I could only make money based upon objectifying myself. Yep. And so I felt like it was dirty. Yep. Now I understand that money is money and I made it and I worked my ass off for it either way. At the same time, um, I still had a lot of shame. Shame. So, yeah. Me too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I thought that it, I thought I was dirty for the exact same reason. I mean, you're told that too. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter if you're calling yourself a whore or a hoe, like guys are coming. I had terrible, you had terrible experiences too. Like I had some really terrible experiences that, um, you know, also reinforced my belief, right? People looking down mm -hmm. on me. 
Mm-hmm. Especially, yes. especially when, when you're telling other people about it, when you're doing it, you know, mm-hmm. who do you tell, who do you not tell kind of thing? Yeah. And the beginning of also becoming a, a coach and a trainer, um, I was very afraid of people finding out that that was my history. And what if they judge me? What if they don't think that I've transformed because I was still doubting the fact that I had transformed? <laughs> and what do you think? How do you think that changed? This time. I mean, it, it was time of me like proving to myself. And it, I think that I, for me, like I needed to get to the point where I actually did trust myself. And I, and now I believe in myself. I know now I have a solid belief about myself that I can do anything I put my mind to. It may take some work Mm -hmm. and I have the capability to create anything that I want. Um, Mm -hmm. that if I want it bad enough, I'll find a way that I'm extremely resourceful and smart. And I know that I can attract exactly what I want, like magic. And so it just took me a while of and I had a, also like a side note, I had a consistent convincer in NLP. What we call it is like, I had this belief that I had to consistently prove to myself uh-huh. until I smoked that out. And I was like, no, I'm going to stop now because I know that I've done enough work and I believe that I have. <laughs> so like I, I stopped that pattern. And, um, but also who you've shared it with, have they been receptive? Like what has been the welcoming, so to speak? Like when clients do find out, do you notice that they're, they're, um, so much more, uh, like, it's almost like it humanizes you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, and I've gotten really great feedback so far. I'm also prepared for, um, not, and I've, and I've had negative feedback a couple of times and, I was, of course, wounded in the beginning, and then I also did the work around it, and I actually prepared myself for not everybody's going to like who I am, not everybody's going to resonate with me, a lot of people are going to think that I cuss too much, and they are not going to jive with me, and I have a solid belief that I will attract the people that are, you know, a good fit for me, and when that does happen, and there are trolls out there that give like to project on other people, I will take in the feedback and see if it's valid so I can grow as a human being. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm like, yay, my ego is crushing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Same time, um, the the quote that comes to mind in the book that I'm reading, Dare to Lead, right now of Renee Brown, she's like, I only take advice from people that are actively going out in the arena of courage or something, how she says it. Yes. Literally going out there and doing everything they can to grow and evolve as a human being. Right. And so, you know, taking people's feedback based upon like, okay, so what are they doing in their life? Is this a person that I even want feedback to come in from? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Having discernment about yes. what you let in and what you don't let in. Yeah. yeah. And knowing that you can, that's that for you and I, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying that maybe you didn't have a good sense of boundaries. No. I know I didn't. <laughs> I'll speak for myself. What are those? <laughs> I had none. I was like, oh, you want me to try that? Cool. Oh, you want me to do that? Great. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So learning to have a boundary, right? Like what is good for me and not even, and I find you probably are the same way. I find that, um, first it's, it's almost like implementing other people's boundaries for me. So there was like this entire learning curve where at first it was like, Oh wait, that's my mom's boundary for me. Does that fit me or does that not fit me? Is that's wait, that's what she wants. Is that what I want? I went through a lot of like figuring out what boundaries were even in trying to make what boundaries might look like. That was a long process for me. I don't know about for you, but learning how to make healthy boundaries and recognizing um, discernment, right? Recognizing like, oh, I'm triggered right now. That must mean I'm outside of my boundaries. Like, mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Well, and giving yourself permission even to have boundaries or even mm-hmm. to have the ability to be okay with what you truly desire and want for 
um, an active people pleaser or butt sniffer because that's something that I did for so long mm-hmm. <laughs> because I would, I, my entire existence was validated by external feedback. Yes. And so like, I didn't even know what it was to listen to myself and truly cultivate my own desire. Yes. And so it took me a while even to get to that place and understand what I truly do want. And then like, what do I stand for? What do I put up with? What do I not put up with? Like, yes. And then noticing when I step in my own boundaries, like I say, I want this and then I don't speak my truth and I don't tell people really what I mean. And I'm actively working on that. (laughs) Talk about, the greatest transformation ever is being in business with your husband and scaling a business and having a team. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful though. I I mean, I just want to say like, I think it's wonderful that he and you are such a force to be reckoned with and such a team, right? Um, not everyone has that partner. Not everyone chose that partner. And uh, I congratulate you for choosing that partner for choosing something um, that you were more deserving of, right? You finally made that choice. Instead of pushing it away and being like, no, I'm not worthy of that, you finally were like, okay, maybe it's possible. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. I'm, I'm so grateful for him. <laughs> I'm, I, I can only imagine. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like you're very, very close. Um, so... I just want to point out that you have a course coming up and there, and, and um, tell us a little bit more about that. It's called applying NLP to business. Um, And it's coming up February 28th through March 1st. So can you tell me or tell us why we should join you and what everyone will learn? Absolutely. I love this program because the reason why I created it with my husband, he's a sales genius. He's um, he. I actually learned so much when I was stepping into my power as a saleswoman from him. It came naturally to him. I was not a person that it came naturally to because communication was something that I was constantly working on. And so this this is the the best that NLP has to offer. And NLP, by the way, is the science of communication. So funny that I get into a, a career of communication because I sucked at in the past. I believe that I sucked at it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's it teaches you how your mind works. It's like a user manual for your mind and how to create success and how to communicate in a way that you can effectively um, help motivate people to get them on the same page. It's the art of influence, influence with yourself as well as others. And so this training is taking all the great parts of NLP and putting it into the business container of first, the first day is all about mindset and um, strategic goal setting and utilizing the timeline and really cool mind hacks of how to go out in the future, visualization processes um, for creating the life of your dreams. And we put it in the container of how to utilize it in your business as an entrepreneur, a salesperson, um, or a coach. And then the second day is diving into language and the structure behind sales. And the reason why we did that is because I feared sales. I feared the rejection. I hated asking for money. Um, I didn't know where I was in the sales cycle. Sales seems like this overwhelming thing that I hated so much, but I know I needed to do it in order to get clients to truly help and serve. And like part of me hated it and part of me knew I needed to do it and I didn't know where to start. And so what we did is we broke it down to a simple process that anybody can use in any type of business to create success, be able to handle clients' objections, truly build deeper connection with their clients to understand what they're thinking. Cause NLP is about getting into the other person's head to where then you can communicate in the way that they need to hear things in order to make a decision. And then we also combine that with unlocking and releasing money blocks so that when you do go in for the close, you feel congruent, you feel successful, you know, in your heart that you truly are serving the client by asking for the money. Mm -hmm. Um, We also get into the spirituality behind sales and money and how it is a a universal transaction. There's Mm -hmm. something very magical that happens with the unconscious mind 
that when somebody enrolls and invests in themselves, it's the karmic pattern of change that happens. And so to be able to facilitate that into a client is really a beautiful process. So that's what we focus on the first two days. And the last day is taking all of it and then putting it into the framework of how to speak on stage. And so there's a whole body of knowledge of how successful people speak and how they tell stories and the language they use, how they build group rapport so they're connecting with everybody in the audience and how to manage your energy when you're on stage to where you feel um, you feel energized like a battery after you get off stage. And people have, they like feel your energy to where they have to go up and talk to you. Uh-huh. So we, we break down pitches. We also teach um, unconscious body language of how to connect with your audience through body language, all the different things. And uh, you can tell I'm super excited about it because I, I feel sounds amazing. <laughs> Is this something that was taught to you? But it, it's also incorporating things you've learned. Yes. So all of this stuff we teach in the practitioner and the masters and trainers training, I've taken a little bit of all different trainings and then put it together Into with this. the methodology that we we've used with our own spiritual practice and other rabbit holes of different, um, esoteric and, uh, alchemy and all the different things. We put it together into like this art of the sacred practice of sales and communication. I love it. I love it. It feels like every healer, every body worker, every light worker, whatever they call themselves, um, should take it. Yes, I I believe so. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) That's why I created it. I'm like, there's so many people that, I mean, I literally believe that there's everybody in this planet has a gift to share with the world. Absolutely. And if you don't understand how to sell your gift, then you're not helping anybody. And that was the biggest like breakthrough aha that I had leaving trainers training because that's what my my trainers told me. Like, if you don't have butts and seats, you're not helping anybody. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, well, what do I do? And so then. (laughs) So then I created a training to teach people the process that I went through and the steps that I used to become a brilliant saleswoman. You are a brilliant. With Brandon. Yes. <laughs> with you, Brandon's help too. <laughs> you are a brilliant saleswoman. You Thank absolutely you. are. You're welcome. Um, so how can people find out about this training, find out about you, or find you on social media? Um, so you can find me Deborah Yeager on social media or Instagram, um, as well as yeagertraining.com, um, Y-A-G-E-R training.com. And then the, um, the course is in there. You can find it and you can get to the page and you can order. We're actually having an early bird special for the one in um, February and it's marked down. So it's a nine ninety five value training and it's right now on sale for $195. So. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Well, (laughs) thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate your honesty and your time and um, your courage and um, your, your way through it all and where you are today. And I love celebrating you. And I love how fearless you are about celebrating your past too. And Um, I just want to thank you again for your time. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to Brilliance Through Resilience podcast. Find the show notes to this episode and all episodes at brilliancetheresilience.com. You can also grab more resources to help you at andreafurpo.com. That's my website where you can learn more about my individual sessions, classes that I offer, the events that I'm attending, and free gifts if you join my newsletter. And if you love this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you would take a moment to leave a rating or a review on iTunes. Those particular actions help to continue to build this amazing community and encourages more women just like you to share your stories of bravery and courage. Wherever you are, I want you to remember this. Every woman has a story and every woman deserves love. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening and joining me on this journey. Everyone sometimes. It-
everyone face to face.